Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles this evening, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, the Lord will just help us here this evening. We're just going to talk about a little bit of the mandate of the church that's placed upon us. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 4. Very familiar passage of scripture here. And then we'll be moving around a little bit. So if you just keep your Bibles close and follow along. I pray the Lord will just challenge us in Jesus' name. Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And uh, I want to speak tonight from this subject, the core value of the church the core value of the church. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. This particular moment of our text and setting, Acts chapter 2, of course, is what we refer to as the birth of the New Testament church. But I, I, I would say as a side note to that, that the church was not really born here in Acts chapter 2. I think the church was born in the heart of God from the very beginning. Amen. The church is not the idea of men. Uh, It is not man's best attempt at anything spiritual. The church is not some invention or the end result of some religious group or uh, convocation of any sort. The church was born in the heart of God. And the church was born with, with great excitement and with great promise. Not a promise for maybes, not a promise of maybe so's or hope so's, but promises that have been many of them fulfilled. I think that the fact that we find excitement and confidence in the church in its inception is very evident as we read Acts 2. I'm thankful that the church was exciting in Acts chapter 2. I'm thankful that we have this passage of scripture that we can turn to for not just hope but also for direction. I'm thankful for the the, the scriptures that we read that incite to us and give to us uh, the historical aspects and the value of the church being born. I'm thankful that there was a church on the day of Pentecost. Amen. But greater still, I'm thankful for the fact that there's a church in 2014 that has not lost its power. It has not lost its enthusiasm. It has not lost its drive or its purpose. I'm thankful for the church then But I'm very thankful for the church today. There's little doubt that the church itself has not been been battered. It has not been scarred through the years. But the Bible 
boldly proclaims that the gates of hell would not prevail. Wouldn't that it would not shake its door. It wasn't that there would not be battles to walk through. But I'm thankful that though the church is battled and scarred, I'm still thankful to know that this is the safest place to be because this is what God has sanctioned and this is what he ordained. I realize how, uh, how confusing it must have been when the apostle Paul declared to those men that were on the ship headed to Rome and in a storm and it seemed like all hope was gone, I can understand somewhat, I think I can at least, the perplexity that must have gone through the minds of those men when Paul said that it is still yet safer to stay on the ship than it is to go into the sea when every man would have been thinking, I'm gonna take my own chances. But he said, there's an angel that has stood by me tonight. And so I say to that this afternoon that I'm thankful for the promises of the church. The church, if this is born in the heart of God, this is God's idea. This is not man's idea. And so I'm gonna stay with the church. Amen. The church continues to move forward with great strength and with great direction, and I'm glad to say with great purpose. I think it's very, very important from time to time that we revisit core values, whether we're talking about a church or our family or an individual. I think every now and then we've got to stand in the mirror of honesty and reflection and we've got to look deep inside, not just at the surface, not at what appears or what we would like things to be, but I think it's very, very important that we never forget our core values. Core values are defined as a principle that guides an organization's internal conduct as well as its relationship with the external world. Core values are usually summarized in the mission statement or in the statement of core values. And so I think if we're not careful that, that the day-to-day -day operation or just life itself can whittle away and wash away and make the water so murky that we lose the point and we forget what we're here for and what we're all about. Amen, that same thing can hold true, I think, for the church, and that is what I speak to specifically this evening because I believe the core value of the church has always been bound up in the central truth of Luke 19 and 10. It is here that Jesus Christ said this, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said in Matthew 8 and 12, I'll just read, how think ye if a man hath an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth to the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? I think if you could put your finger on the very pulse of the ministry of Jesus Christ, we could all agree that he came to reconcile, as the scripture says, the world unto himself. And so the core value of the church is to pull and to reach for those that are lost. As a matter of fact, we don't, we don't just have the New Testament that we can lean on and I'm gonna make an Old Testament reference but I'm not just going here because it's the only one. I'm just going here because this is the scripture that came to mind today. In Ezekiel 34 and 16, the Lord said, I will seek that which was lost 
and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. That was the mission all along is to pull and to, and to, to heal and to bind. The Lord designed the church for the most efficient tool to reach those that are lost. Now I'm as baffled perhaps as anybody else in this room as to why the Lord would relegate the power of eternity to the hands as fragile as mankind. I sometimes think and just this afternoon again as I was preparing and praying for this evening service, I was just feeling the humility and, the, and, and overwhelmed at the responsibility to think that the mission that is placed upon the church, we're not just here to sing tonight, although we sang. We're not just here to, to just clap our hands, although we have participated in that tonight. But the core value and the mission of the church is to reach for those that are lost. And that means eternity for someone is laid in the hands and in the lap of us that are sitting in this building here tonight. The Lord designed the church. This is my most efficient tool. He said, I'm gonna choose the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. I, I wanna take that, I wanna take that responsibility to heart. Something that we can never lose sight of is this. And that is the fact that we as individuals make up the church. You see, it's easy to talk about the church and all of her responsibilities as long as we think that the church is something else, somewhere else, somebody else. But when we realize that we all have a part to play, therefore seeing we have this ministry, we faint not. And so I've got to stay sober and I've got to stay diligent. I've got to let the spirit and the power of God keep my feet on a sure foundation. Amen, every morning when I pray, there are, there are people that are leading the leaders of our organization, the leaders of our district, and, and, uh, and, and various others. I pray, I pray for them. I call their names by prayer, and this is what I ask God. I ask the Lord to make their feet sure. Amen, I ask God to keep their stance. I pray God hold the foundation upon which they stand because if they move, it's gonna cause a whole lot of moving to go on. And so I say, Lord, I want you to secure those. I want you to help them and realize that we all play a part in this. And I, every life is connected to another life. And so I want those that I'm looking to, I want to pray that their footing be sure. I want to pray that the foundation they're standing on always remains the word of God, that infallible, irrevocable word of God. Aren't you thankful for the word today? Amen. Therefore, I got to be committed I must be committed to seeing that the plan of God is completely accomplished. I, I, I can't help but to refer to it again. David said, it is said of David rather, that he served his generation. What a powerful thing to say. He served his generation. Now there's a lot of things that we could talk about David and I mean there's a lot of good things that we could say about David. There's a lot of time that we could write and has been written about the life of David and the ministry of David, the effect of David's life. But to summarize it all down, to boil it down to just one simple statement, he served 
his generation. I want you to understand that, my friend, cast an incredible shadow. And could it be said of you and I, when our life here is spent, when our time is over, that we served our generation. I want to be committed. I want to be committed to the fact that God has commissioned a responsibility into these hands, into my mind and in my heart. And so here is our core value. Our core value to the church is to reach every lost, everywhere, and in every way possible. To touch the lost. The church is not some random, last minute design by the Lord. This is not some second vessel that was made. Amen, nothing could be further from the truth. The church was deliberately planned. The church is central in making the gospel known to the world. You know what we're doing here tonight? We're not just showing up so that somebody can check our name off a roster. We're not just showing up so that we can uh, get a a few little points for this or get a little credit for that. But we are showing up tonight because we realize that we have got to keep the light on. We must keep the light on. Amen. Not just the lights of this building, but we make sure we come and we make sure that the wick is trimmed. We make sure that the light and the and 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 the message and the gospel that we are declaring has not grown dim with time. It has not grown dim with storms. It has not grown dim with circumstance. But we come one more time because somebody may need us. Amen. The church, the church. Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus stated to Simon Peter, upon this rock will I build my church. And so every member of the church must have the conviction that the church has placed upon it a mandate to communicate the gospel to the world. The apostle Paul informed the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 2 and 19. He said, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We at one time were without looking in. We at one time were over there looking over here. But he said, Paul said to the Ephesian church, you need to realize that you are no more strangers and you are no more foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so when someone is filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they're no longer a stranger, but they've been grafted into the body of Jesus Christ. Paul said that they were fellow citizens and saints of the household of God. Again, I remind you that the church is not haphazardly placed. This is not just a hodgepodge of a bunch of mixed match ideas and philosophies, but the church was handcrafted by the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls the Lord himself refers to the church as the body, the body. Now, if you want to talk about something intricately and delicately designed, think about the body. Ephesians 2 and 20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And that would be one thing, to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But he doesn't end there. He said, and with Jesus Christ as the chief 
cornerstone. And so the church has been set down on a sure foundation. The church has been set down on something that will stand the test of time because the church is not on the shifting sands of maybe. The church has not been placed on the shifting sands of I hope so. But the church has been placed on the foundation of thus saith the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the church. I'm thankful for the church. Hallelujah. With all of her ills and with all of her flaws. Amen. Because we make up the church and so we bring ills and flaws into it. But I'm going to tell you on Wednesday, get out of my way because I'm coming to the house of God because there's something special. On Sunday, I say you're going to have to get out of the way because I got to get to the house of God. I was speaking with Sister Myers last night and there was a lot going on in their family last evening just about 24 hours ago and, and, uh, and, and just on the phone she just began to talk about how much I miss going to church. Oh, that I could just be in service one more time. I'm gonna tell you, I don't mean this cynical. Please don't take this as me being a smart aleck. But I sat there on the phone last night and I thought about the families. I thought about the families that's got health and they've got finance and they've got everything they need to be in the house of God and yet the church house seems to be just such a place of inconvenience and someone here that said, oh, I'd just give anything if I could be there one more time. I I pray God help us to wake up while there is yet day and realize that we must at all costs realize and invest in the value of the church. The church, the church, the church. Amen. Amen. I told, I told Jackie several years ago now, it's been over three decades ago that I loved her. And because I love her, I come home to her every night. I don't just stop in every now and then. Amen. I, I don't just come home when it's convenient. I don't come home when I need my clothes washed. If I did, whatever clothes I had left there would be in the yard. Because I didn't marry a fool. Amen. There's a, there's a start point <laughs> right there. But I'm thankful for the church. And I don't want to be in every now and then. I don't want to be when it's convenient. I don't want to be when there's nothing in the way, no obstructions. But I want to do whatever it takes. Verse 21 reminds us that the church is fitly framed together and the scripture says that it groweth unto a holy temple. That's the church. Amen. The church fitly framed together and it groweth. It continues to grow unto a holy temple. Verse 22 says that the church is built together for the habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen, that's the church. Let me back up and say all of this one more time. Verse 20 said that it was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone. Verse 21 said that it was fitly framed together. Amen, fitly framed together. And then it said that it groweth in unto a holy temple. Verse 22 said it is built together 
for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so the church is a place that is a habitation for the very presence of God. I know and I appreciate the fact that we can't wrap our mind around the Old Testament and the Old Temple. I I realize that we have a hard time comprehending that, and I think it was you mentioned this weekend, we have a hard time comprehending that once a year, one man, once a year, one man, once a year, one man went into the presence of the Lord. But now the church that has been given to us, that is the holy habitation of God, we are free tonight to come into the presence of the almighty God and hear me this evening. I'm not just in the presence of the Rayleigh family. I'm not just in the presence of the Tumman family. I'm not just in the presence of the Hall family. But I am in the presence of almighty God and I feel his presence in this house tonight. I feel his presence in the house tonight. Amen. So the church, the church, the church, we got to understand that God didn't just bring us together for the sake of friendship. This is not a club. This is not a, there is a method to what the Lord is doing here. David said in Psalm 68 and 6 that God sets the solitary into families. God sets those on the outside, on the inside. The Lord doesn't just bring the solitary into the church for fellowship. He doesn't just bring the solitary into the church for chicken dinners. He doesn't just bring the solitary into the church for barbecues and fifth Sunday uh, getting get-togethers. Amen. God put the church, amen, together. And he said, I am going to set the solitary into families. The church should be a place that's centered on making disciples out of those that God adds, not just somebody to count. Not just somebody to take up a space on a pew, but there ought to be an endeavor to disciple those that God adds to the church. And through the various ministries of the church, we help people come to a deeper and a more meaningful relationship with God, whether that is in our children's ministry or whether that is in our Sunday school or our youth or on and on and on over the scale we go. Everything we're doing, we're not just doing to just beat the air. We're not just doing this to bat the wind. We're not just doing this to have something to do. But we're trying. You know what I'm trying to do tonight? I'm trying to bring me and you into a deeper and a more meaningful relationship. I didn't come here to holler and scream and jump up and down. But I just want to point out the value. I'm sorry. But I get excited when I think about the mandate that is upon our lives. Amen. There's a responsibility. I get overwhelmed. I get sober. And I say, Lord, help us. Help us. Help us. Amen, we gotta help people come not only into a relationship with the Lord, but people need to come into a relationship with the church. (laughs) Because the church is a habitation of God. And so not only do we need to bring people into relationship with the Lord, but we need to bring people into the relationship with the church. And And so it is our goal, it is our emphasis that we have good church every time we come together. I mean, just have as good as we can get. Do everything we can do. Amen. I'm talking about letting the Spirit of God have its way. I'm not just talking about getting every note right. We want to get that. I'm not just talking about getting every beat right. We want to get that. But we want the Lord to have His way. Above and beyond everything else, we want the Lord to have His way. And so because of that, we tell our guest speakers or those that are on the docket to speak, even if they're local ministers in the church. Amen. And you're on the list today to speak. Sunday is your Sunday or Wednesday is your day. But if the Spirit of the Lord begins to move, you know what? You're going to have to set your Bible to the side and you're going to have to put all your feelings in your pocket. 
Amen. We tell our singers, now this is your schedule for the month and here's when you're going to be singing. But that's if the Spirit of the Lord goes along with that. But if things change, don't have your ego out here so big that you can't fold all that up and put it away for another month or another two months or another six months. Why? Because we are trying to have the power and the presence of God to minister to people, to disciple people. Why? Because that is the core value of the church. The core value of the church, Brother Rayleigh, is not me. The core value of the church is not you. The core value of the church is not you, but the core value of souls, souls, souls. Amen. Oh, I love you, Jesus. God has ordained the church to reach and nurture the lost. Hebrews 10, 25 teaches us, we know this part, forsake not this ending of ourselves together. We hear that part quoted all the time, but it also goes on to say that we are to be exhorting one another. The word exhorting means encouraging one another. And so when we come to the house of God, it's again, it's not just to show up to get a check mark by our name and a gold star, but we are coming together because I want somebody to encourage me and, that, and I want to encourage somebody else along the way. I love encouragers. I love people that can just, amen. And I know every now and then you just got to be around people that aren't encouragers. So you just take a deep breath like running into a smoke-filled room. You just got to take a deep breath and hold, hope that you can hold out. I want to be an encourager. Be somebody that can lift up the hands. An heir and then a her that can hold up some hands that may be feeble or tired and weary. And so the life of the church should be focused on making disciples. And that must be the goal of every ministry within the church. And I realize that most, if not all, agree with that statement. We would readily agree that the church ministry should be working with people within the church to help them become more mature. I think we would all agree with that. However, here's where the rubber gets a little bit closer to the road. To the road and, and maybe here's where the rub is. And that is the fact that the saints, everybody say, that's me. Amen. Amen. Did everybody say that? Let's try it one more time. That's me. That's me. me. The saints, that's me. I've got to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. See, as as, as long as somebody else is doing that. Many years ago, I said this, and we were talking about something completely different, but I addressed the church in this manner and I don't want you to misunderstand me this evening but but you showed up to a building that was already warmed up when you got here lights were already on when you got here music was already prepared when you got here somebody else did all the singing we didn't even have to move our lips if we didn't want to didn't even have to lip sync amen how many studied for the Bible lesson tonight That's already done when you got here. Everything was already taken care of. We just walked in. And if we're not careful somehow just showing up, we'll walk out and think, well, I did my part. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Amen. We want to have to, we have to realize rather that the saints are given to the ministry of the church. You know, some people like to be associated with a pulpit-driven church. That's my phrase. 
And what I mean by that is this, that some people want to belong to a church where the pastor does everything or the ministry team does everything. Amen. They don't want to be involved. They don't want to roll up their sleeves. They don't want to get sweaty. They don't want to leave church smelling, looking different. Amen. That's the truth. And so we'll just, you know, as long as a mule holds out, we'll just keep loading the wagon. That's right. Well, I didn't think it would get that quiet through this part, but I, I'll just keep plowing. How's that? I truly believe the ministry is God's gift to the church. I, and I, I don't say that feather in my own nest because I need the ministry as well. Amen. There's a, there's a reason for that gift. And here's, here it is. It's, a, it's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. You know this. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And here it comes. Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I, I just want you to hold still right there. The New King James Version, in that, in that particular version, we find the word perfecting more clearly defined. More clearly defined. For the perfecting of the saints, that word means for the equipping of the saints. And so now that it's up there, I, I want us to just read that again. Here's why we have been given the fivefold ministry. It's not to make us perfect. We misunderstand that word perfecting sometimes. And that word perfecting means equipping. And so here's why the ministry has been given to the church. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And so the ministries and the extensions of the church serve many roles. And one of those should be to bring an awareness to the needs of the lostness of mankind. And so the saints have got to be equipped to know how to walk out of this building with more than just a church card in your pocket. And when somebody asks you a question, say, you need to call the Sunday school department, or you need to call the pastor, or you need to call the youth, or you need to call the ladies, you need to call the men. We need to be equipped ourselves, a workman, amen, that can rightly divide, to connect the word of God. I'm telling you that we need the spirit of the Lord to help us feel the weight of this thing. I've said this many times, and if the Lord will give me breath, I'll continue to say it. This past Sunday, I, I, just because I wasn't preaching didn't mean I didn't have any responsibility. But because I wasn't preaching, I didn't feel the load of ministry upon me. But I, I could see that, and I could look in Brother Jerry's eyes. And I could see in Brother Everett's eyes. I recognize that look. I know what that feels like. Amen. I know what that feels like. But you know what? I didn't walk over to them and say, hey, let me take this load off of you. Hey, let me just carry this a little while. You just relax. You know why? Because until you feel that gnaw into your shoulders, until you feel that grind in your spirit, you'll never realize and know. And I'm not just talking about these two men in particular, but until you realize the ministry of the church, this is not a party, friend. Amen. We didn't come here to a dance. We didn't come here just to, just to click our heels together but I'm going to tell you that the weight and the responsibility of the ministry of the church are to gnaw into the shoulders of every man and woman and boy and girl that is a member of this church. This is more than having titles. This is more than just having a few pleasantries but it ought to gnaw into our spirit. Hallelujah. It ought to dig into the flesh of our spirit man. Amen. Souls should be at the forefront. Everybody all right? Souls should be at the forefront. I thought I'd be further along in my notes than I am right now. But if you'll just hang in there with me, we'll all be good. Amen. 
Souls should be at the forefront. We aren't just reaching for numbers, but hear me, numbers represent souls. There are some characteristics I think that every church should exhibit, and I want to run through these pretty quick, so if you'll just stay with me. I think that we must, must, must be a church of prayer. Amen, we must be. The early church was a church of prayer. I'm not just talking about corporate prayer. I'm not just talking about prayer before service, but I'm talking about we, the church. We gotta be people of prayer. Over and over in the book of Acts, we see the church involved in prayer. Acts 1, 2, 3, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 12, 13, Acts 16. Prayer is the key for us being sensitive to the voice of God. Amen. It's also the key for us being sensitive to the needs of others. I was listening to a pastor speak uh, this particular this week. In particular, I was listening to uh, a, a message. There was a <clears throat> he was teaching at a, a a seminar, a deal at a, a men's conference, but to a, a minister's only session. He began to share about how one morning he woke up. He told his wife. He said, "I think we need to go." to such and such restaurant on the north side of town. And she said, I don't even like that restaurant. I don't want to go there for lunch. And he said, I don't like that restaurant either, but I just feel that I need to go, that we need to go to this restaurant. I feel, and he said, nah, I, I, he was trying to be real clear that, you know, he didn't have stammering lips and, and, and he, he didn't feel just some overwhelming weight and, and the Spirit of God just prompted, he just felt something. He just, just something. There was just something gnaw and said, this is where we need to go. And so they walked in. When they walked in, there was a lady that was standing at the counter that was trying to pay her bill and as she was paying her bill her life just fell apart and she began to weep and cry as they were walking in this happened and she began to weep and he just stepped up to her he said he realized in a moment that he knew that's exactly why they had walked in that restaurant and he walked over there and began to minister to her and he and his wife had prayer with her are you hearing me amen I'm talking about prayer that makes us sensitive to the spirit and the power of God the spirit and the power of God amen I had this, I can I could relate to that because I and I shared this with you when it happened several months ago that I was in Lake City and I just felt like I didn't need to leave town and I'm going to tell you when I leave home I leave home with comb in mind. Many times if I don't write a note I forget half of what I went after because I've got going back home on my mind. I try to see how fast I can get there, get it done, and get back home. I take that as a personal challenge every time I pull out of the driveway. And so it's not like me to be in Lake City and feel like I ought to just hang around. I ought to just hang around. And so I, I was hanging around, and I, I don't really like to eat by myself. And so I, 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 I went and I, I thought, well, I'll just get a, grab a bite to eat. So I went in the restaurant. I felt something. I just feel like God has prompted me. And the whole time I was there, I just kept waiting for something to happen, but it didn't happen. So I got through the meal and I was just trying to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And I thought, well, I'll just go home. And I got back in my car. I felt that prompting, that prompting, don't leave yet, don't leave yet. And I'm just kind of making up things to do at this point. I thought, well, we might could use a few things at Publix. And I pulled into the Publix parking lot. And as I was getting out of the car, I heard my name called. And it was there that God intersected me with a family that was in dire straits. I'm telling you that I'm testifying tonight and I'm not bragging. I'm telling you that there is a mandate upon me. I thought, oh Lord, you know what, instead of feeling all high and mighty, instead of feeling all supernatural and spiritual, when 
that was all over with, I thought about how much I had to fight Steve the whole time I was in Lake City, how much I had to fight me, and what if I had won out, and what if I had won that battle, and what if I got back home, what if I got back to my office, what if I got back to my little comfortable world where I was trying to get, I'm gonna tell you that we gotta be a church of prayer, we gotta say, Lord, help me to be sensitive to those that are around me, that's the core value of the church. Amen. We've got to be a church of worship, true New Testament worship. Not just going through the motions, not just clapping our hands, not just, not just doing what we think we ought to do, but we've got to do it in spirit and we've got to do it in truth. Amen. I believe that we ought to be a friendly church. I believe that people that's got the Holy Ghost ought to be the friendliest people on the planet. Amen. I really believe that a church that's engaged in reaching the lost, I think that we've got to be warm and inviting. I think the atmosphere that we create, even in, even in our building and the presentation of that, it ought to be an inviting climate. It ought to be warm. Amen. But that must be constantly nourished. You've got to keep checking, making sure. Amen. You just can't set something in motion and hope that it's okay. That's just one reason, one of many reasons why we have someone greet people when they walk in the door on Sunday morning. We want the experience of Hatchman Apostolic Church to begin the moment somebody steps through the door. Why? For our sake? No. For my sake? No. Because God inhabits this place. This is the church. And so we don't do that so that they'll be impressed with the music program. We don't do that so they'll be impressed with the pastor. We don't do that so they'll be impressed with whatever else. We do that because this is the habitation of God. And so we're going to serve. We're going to serve. We, we can't serve something this fine on garbage can lids, folks. Amen. Amen. We need to put our best foot forward. And so we want that to experience and begin. And the church we find in Acts chapter 2 was willing to do whatever they could do to make sure that no one was in lack or no one was in need. The Bible says they sold their stuff and they brought it together. They were just trying to look after one another. Amen. We've got to help meet the need of everybody that we possibly can. I realize that many times the need is greater, but we say, Lord, help us do what we can. We ought to be a church that understands God's purpose. Apparently the church that was born on the day of Pentecost understood God's mission because we're just barely into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5 verse 28 and the Bible says this after there's some trouble and some controversy after there was some stir and even their opponents had to say that ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. <laughs> so apparently they got it. We're not just here to put on our choir robes and make sure we swing in the right direction but we are here to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. God works through people. If God's plan and purpose is going to be accomplished, it will be because saints rise to the challenge, step up to the plate, and allow the responsibility to be placed on their shoulders. Here's what Paul said to the church in Rome 6 and 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. These hands, I want them to become praise. Amen, this tongue that I, that I used to curse with, I want that to become something that I praise with. Amen, this body that I used to just give everything I could to the world, I want to give every bit of that to God. I want to yield my members as members of righteousness. Amen. We've got to be a church that's willing to sacrifice for the lost. No better example of this than what we find in the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, Jesus unfolds some very, very powerful and important truths for us. I know many 
are familiar with the story, and because of that, I'm just going to focus on the acts of the Good Samaritan and not the story. The Bible says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, talking about the man that was beat up and robbed. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, enough said. When he saw him, he said, well, if you hadn't have been on the street, if you hadn't been doing this, if you hadn't been doing that, most people that are in that condition realize if they hadn't have been doing what they were doing, they wouldn't be there. And so they don't need a judge, they need a surgeon. <laughs> and he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast. That means he was walking. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. That means he was not tending to what he had originally set out to do. And on the morrow when he departed, he's at least a day late for what he was doing. He took out two pence and gave him to the host and said to them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. So he took of his own stuff and said, I will return. I mean, I realize that 2 Corinthians 9 speaks about literal giving, but I think there's a guiding principle that's found here. That should be used in everything that we do in regard to the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, the Bible says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I, mean, I, know, I know what Paul is talking about there, but I'm talking about, let me, let me pull that out if I can and plug it into this, uh, what we're talking about here tonight, that what we, ought, what we do for God ought to be done, not grudgingly. Amen. Amen. But from our heart, as we have purposed in our heart, I want to get the very best that I can, passionate about the things that we're engaged in. It was a great restoration work that was done under the guidance of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4 and 6 gives us a summary as to how the walls and the gates of Jerusalem were restored. It just simply said this, We were able to do this for the people had a mind to work. You know, when you go back, and I think, and you go back in that fourth chapter just above these verses here, I mean, Nehemiah kind of just sets it out, lays it out on the line. He says, you do see the distress that we're in. I mean, they're standing there up to their kneecaps in a mess. And he says, look around, you see the trouble we're in. And so it was something about that that caused them to catch the passion. And they got a mind to work. And if I could say tonight, if we could just look around us, if we just knew what shape the world was in. Oh, my God. I've said this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But just because we're in the setting where we are does not mean that, that we are we're isolated or insulated from a lot of things that are going on. I'm telling you, there are people within a throwing us rocks distance, or they're certainly within walking distance here tonight that don't even know who Jesus is. Finally, we've got to be a unified church of musicians if you'll come. You can sense an overarching measure of harmony in the New Testament church. Unity was a, a tremendous part of the tremendous revival in the early church, but that doesn't mean they were problem free. No, no, no. We know that's not the case. However, they were able to work through their indifferences and stay focused on what the call of the kingdom was. And as I said so often, you can't move forward if you try to see eye to eye on everything. You can only move forward if you decide whether I see eye to eye, I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder. And if we stand shoulder to shoulder, then we will move forward. Amen, forward. Mature saints understand a few things about this subject 
of unity. Division in a church can stop a spirit of revival just like that. And so you've got to iron out those things as fast as you can. Satan always tries to divide. And so sometimes what we need to realize is that the enemy is just flat at work. And he's trying to sow seeds of discord. Matthew 18 and, and 7 is something that mature saints understand. They understand this, that offenses will come. If you think we're going to live in an, in an offense-free world or even an offense-free church, we're wrong. Amen. Romans 16 says you've got to withdraw. You've got to put some distance between people that cause division. Mark them. Don't put your arm around them. Don't climb up in the chariot with them. Don't get in the bed with them. Amen. I hope I'm not being too plain, but that, that, don't, don't be playing footsies with those kind of people under the table, people that are trying to cause division. We need to say, wait a minute, I don't want anything to do with that. Amen. We only have one life to live. This is what mature people understand. And I'm not going to allow my life to be filled with bitterness and division. I've just got one chance to pass through this way. One chance. Ephesians 4 and 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the peace and unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so finally I would conclude by saying this, that we must be a church, we must be a church that has an attitude of expectation when we come together. I just can't wait to see what God is going to do. He's a miracle working God. Mark 16 and 20, the Bible says they went forth, preached the word, preached everywhere, excuse me, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Amen, so be it. Faith opens the door for God to work, and so we need to allow God to use us in the gifts of the Spirit, as I talked about a few weeks ago. Amen. We need the Spirit of the Lord to touch us. Let's stand together. I want to pause and say something here as we prepare to pray. I'm so thankful that we serve a God we can trust. Trust. You know, it just seems like in, in the society that we live in, and I, I'm going to be real, real, real careful and try to thread my way through some comments here, but it just seems like that the society that we live in, that the enemy is working overtime to just erode confidence in everything and in everyone everywhere. There have been news reports, whether true or false, but there have been news reports recently of of people that America at large and perhaps beyond has really trusted and looked up to and admired. Now, maybe some things unfurling in this individual's life. I'm not talking about anybody in the church. but And so I, I read that article with great sadness because I thought this is just one more layer. One more layer of taking security away from people. Amen. We can believe. Well, we, we lost confidence here, but we can put our confidence here. And then you realize, I can't put it there. And we can put it over here and then something helps happens and it starts washing out the foundation of that and so Jude I just want to read Jude 24 25 unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory majesty dominion power both now and forever amen and so I'm going to tell you that when men let you down when institutions let you down Jude even said when angels let you down you can put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. Amen. It's been said that Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth $6,000. That's genius. 
Rockefeller could sign his name to a piece of paper and worth, make it worth a million dollars. That's capital. Uncle Sam could take gold and stamp an eagle on it and make it worth $20. That's money. A mechanic can take material that's worth only $5 and make it worth $50. That's skill. An artist can take a 50-cent piece of canvas and paint a picture on it and make it worth $1,000. That's art. But God can take a worthless, sinful life, wash it in Calvary's blood, and fill it with Calvary's purpose and make it a blessing to all humanity for ages to come. That is called salvation. Salvation. Now, I know that we have Paul, the Apostle Paul, in this unreachable category because of his writings and his sufferings and his faithfulness and his consistency. But I just got to boldly tell you tonight that everybody didn't feel that way. No, no, no. Because when Paul first got in the church, he visited some church that had widows in it whose husbands he had killed. When Paul first started coming around church trying to worship and clap quietly in the back as not to distract or draw attention to himself, there were some orphan children sitting in the congregation whose parents he had put to death. (laughs) Let that just soak in our spirit a little while. But Jesus can take a worthless, a sinful life, wash it with Calvary's blood, fill it with His Spirit, and look where we have Paul today, who has touched the ages. And should time in for us tonight, the ministry and the life and the writings and the experiences of Paul will bless generations to come. Amen. Do you know what? Heaven's going to be full of several Pauls. <laughs> oh, yeah. There'll be several Saul's there. Get to heaven. We realize that somebody had been washed and their life had been filled and they made an indelible difference in the life of somebody. I'm talking about core values of the church. Can we gather around? Let's close with family prayers. Our musicians. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.